Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. What are we searching for? Everything you do in your life, ask yourself that question. What am I searching for? I can answer this for you. <laughs> Is that okay? Mike Bickle talked about it a little bit. He's, I, I got your answer. What is, the, what is God saying? right, Brother Mike, you know, someone asked Mike Bickle, they ask Mike Bickle that question all the time. What is the word of the Lord? He's like, I know the word of the Lord. I can tell you, really, what's the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord is, I am loved by God and he loves me. And I love God. <laughs> I'll never forget one time my good friend Elliot, I always bring him up every time I preach, right? I feel like I always do, Elliot. I don't know why. I remember one time we, we, we were all in that prayer movement, right, and IHOP was like the, the glory place, right, and PG was going, Pastor Carlos was going, and I was so jealous. <laughs> Everyone's going, I'm like, can you guys, can I go? No, no, okay, no. You know, because first they sent the pastors, right, all the pastors went, oh, Enrique's like, no, okay, yeah, because I ain't got no money to pay for a ticket, so I, I wasn't going yet, and I remember Elliot was going, I'm like, Elliot, how are you going? It's not fair. So I'm waiting for Elliot to get back from Kansas City. I'm like, oh, my gosh, when he comes back, I'm going to ask him, like, what, what, did, what did God say? What is the prophetic word of the hour? What, what, what happened? Did you, get, you know, did you feel this? When you walked into the prayer room, was it like clouds of dust and gold trickling from the sky? I mean, I'm so excited to find out. And he comes. I'll never forget this. And I go, what, what did God say to you? And he looked at me so pure, and he said, God loves me. And I'm like, no, 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 okay, okay, no, no, no hurry up. But what else did he say? God loves me. I'm like, I'm not, I've been waiting for you to get back. Can you tell me what you learned? God loves me. Oh. Why do we think that's not enough, church? Where did we get to in our walk with God that that was not deep enough? I don't care how many years you've been in church. I don't care how, how long you think you've known God. Do you know how much he loves you? Ephesians chapter 3, 16, that you would know the width, the depth, the height, the length, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. One time I was reading Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And then I read Ephesians 3, and it said that the love of God, which surpasses all knowledge. So, oh, hold on. The fear of the Lord is the beginning where, it's, where it starts. But then when you get the love of Jesus, that catapult, whew, completely knocks you out the water. You cannot comprehend the love of God, church. You can't understand it in this brain, in this, you know, physical body of flesh. You can't comprehend how much God loves you. It's impossible, actually. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's a story of a man. He was, and Esther probably going to laugh at me because I'm going to mess the story up. Don't, don't laugh at me, Esther, because it's from Stuart Grease. But there's a man that he had a dream and a vision where he, he met a man, it was Jesus, and he met a man on the sand, and, and he picked up, you know, he asked him about the love of God, and he picked up a grains of sand, and he, and he showed him, he said, this little grain right here is the love of God. And he picked up a whole handful, and he said, this is the most anyone has ever seen the love of God or understood. Just a little handful. One, one little piece of grain is, is one measure of the love of God, maybe the, the kindness of God, maybe the gentleness of God. Maybe God's mercy over you. I've been teaching my kids about mercy. You know, I took their tablets away the other day. You know, I know this is like, I know, 2022 teachings right here and preachings, but this is what we are, okay? Took their tablets away. They got in trouble. 
And then, and you know, they they, they were, they, you know, it was, it was like supposed to be till Friday or something, and they wanted mercy, so I gave them their tablets and teach them mercy. What's mercy, Hannah? I tell her, what's mercy when we deserve something but we still don't? <laughs> this is how we teach our kids. Side note. <laughs> But all these grains of sand, he showed them in his hand. He said, this is the most anyone who walked the earth has ever known. And then all of a sudden, he kind of looked from that hand, and he looked up, and he saw that whole uh, seashore. Why can't I say that word? Seashore. Millions and millions of grains of sand. That is just a picture of the love of God. You cannot comprehend how much God loves you. I mean, Jesus is crazy for you. Remember, he counts your hair. Maybe not some of you guys, brother, but, you know, hey, bless you, bro. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> he counts the hair when you had it when you were first born, maybe, yeah. Come on, where's Lewis at? Oh, I don't got Lewis. <laughs> Let's go to Scripture, guys. Come on, turn in the Bible. We're going to go into this here. How many are excited to know how much God loves him? Come on, somebody. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Lord, we ask for the new revelation of your love. Hallelujah. I want to read a quote from Augustine. It's beautiful. It says, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You made us for yourself, for thy pleasure, right? Revelation 4.11, for thy pleasure I was created. You made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until we find our rest in you. This is the message of, of the gospel. Your friends, your family members, maybe you, no matter how much you are searching, you are searching for that answer of love in some form. That eternal love, your You're destined to search for it because in your heart, in Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, God put a seed of eternity in your heart. And Jesus says, this is eternal eternal love, eternity, that you would know me, that you would know the, the, the love of Jesus. This is eternal love. So he put this seed in every human being's heart when he fashioned you, when he formed you in your mother's womb. There is a seed of a desire for you, friend, to know love. The problem is, is we grow up all of our life and we search for it, right? What's that old school song? Searching for love in all the wrong places, right? We search for love everywhere because the seed of desire is in us to be loved by God. That's why that moment, let's take our, just go there real quick, just for a second. Remember that moment you felt his love for the first time, church. Remember that moment. I remember that moment. I was on the floor and I still remember that moment when I gave my life to Jesus. Somebody came up to me. They put their hand on my, on my back, and they said, thank you, Lord, for another softened heart. Because I was hard. My heart was hard. I was a fighter. My dad was never in my home as I, as I grew up. I didn't know the love of a father. I didn't know what it was like for dad to come into your room. I didn't know what it was like for dad to show you how to shave. I didn't know what it was like. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know this love of a father. And my heart, be, my heart became hard because of it. So I w- went, of course, looking for love everywhere else. I went to drugs, went to sex, went to everything else because I did not know this love. And the, the moment, all the years of hardness of my life, 
For me, it was 19 years. 19 years of hardness of heart. In a moment, God breaks the scales off my heart. It's almost like when we were praying, I imagine God going up to the heart, and he's got a chisel and a hammer, and he just hits it one time, and the scales fall off the heart. And I still remember on that floor when that young man, I don't even know where he's at in the world today, put his hand on me and said, thank you, Lord, for another softened heart. And, boy, I have carried that revelation all my life because I cry in the presence of the Lord. If I'm not crying, something's wrong. I'm probably going to get some. There's going to be a tear today. And, and it's not just in spiritual stuff. Like, I cry in all the movies. and Cantanto, I was crying. I mean, every movie, I, I, I'm just, I can't make it. I can't make it through. Who cried in Encantanto, whatever it's called? Okay, thank you. I'm not, what I, I just, you know, whatever. Encantanto, I don't know. So it's not, I don't only carry it in the gospel, you know. I carry it through my normal life. My kids always know, oh, dad's going to cry. Here he goes, here he goes. I mean, I can't watch American Idol, like the story of the back line, and then they sing. Oh, I'm done every time. The story about they never, you know, yeah, it's, man, okay, where am I going? Anyways, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9, let's read it. This is the revelation. Look at the neighbor, your neighbor next to you and say, you are ravished. What does that mean? What does that mean? That word is beautiful word in the Greek and the Hebrew. That word literally means overcome. When we look at God, the Bible says here that we have ravished his heart. Psalm Solomon 4, 9 says, you have ravished my heart. This is God the Father speaking to you. My sister, my spouse. You're like, whoa, what is that? That's weird. Sorry, we'll talk about it. My sister, my spouse, you have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. The Lord has given us a picture of what it looks like when he looks down from heaven over us. How do you think God sees you when you enter into his presence? Do you see this? Do you realize this is actually the foundation of how God looks to you when you come before him. You have ravished his heart, my sister, my spouse. Let me break that down for a second. So all throughout the Song of Solomon, I'm going to share a couple verses. Of course, I'm not going to do a Song of Solomon teaching as much as I would love to. But the Song of Solomon, if you've never read it, from a symbolic perspective, I encourage you to read it. Song of Solomon, yes, can definitely be applied to marriage, but the most beautiful picture is when you apply it to the church or you in the context of your relationship with Jesus. So we look at the Song of Solomon, the storyline of love. It's a beautiful story. It's a woman that she, first she's kind of drawn in by the love of Jesus, and then she kind of shies away a little bit. She's nervous to give her whole heart, and Jesus constantly pursues her. And then Jesus shows up. And she's ready. She's like, finally, I'm ready. And then she goes and opens the door, and he's not nowhere to be found. And it's just constant back and forth of love, how God has a, a storyline for all of us in our walk with the Lord. There's times where he's running after us, and we're running from him. There's times where we're running after him, and we're like, God, where are you? <laughs> if you're real. You ever did that prayer, right? If you're real. <laughs> I need a check in the mail by this Friday, Lord. If you're real. God's like, if, if I'm real, really? That's what it's going to take? What about when I did it last month? That wasn't, no, that one doesn't apply. Okay, we'll start over. 
me and Matt Bond were talking about all the crazy times when God blesses you, and like a week later, you're like, Lord, I, you just completely forget about the blessings. <laughs> you're like back at square one, like you're just desperate, and God's like, I just took care of you last week. God's okay with that. He's okay with that. My sister, my spouse, that, let me talk about that for a moment. So all throughout the Song of Solomon, you'll see him refer to the, the, the Shalomai as a sister spouse. Why is that significant? My sister is, is, he's giving you an idea of his relationship to us as humanity. So when you look at Jesus and he says to you, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, he's wanting you to understand and see him not as a futuristic God who's all the way far away, completely stoic, completely separate from us, has no idea what we've ever gone through, and that's God. No, he's like, you have to understand, you're my sister, you're my brother. The Bible calls him our firstborn of many brothers. What does that mean? Jesus took on flesh. He can relate to the sufferings of humanity. He bore on our flesh. He is a man. This is different from, so you got to get the Greek theology out of your head, right? Us, in, even in the Western world, like there's this Greek theology, the Zeus, like he is a god far away, and we can't approach him, and he dwells in this, you know. Yes, he is that, but he's also human. So even the Jews, they see God as holy. They see God, and they cannot understand or filter the fact that God can be the broken man on that cross, The Jews have this difficult, so that's why one day the Bible says the veil will be removed and they will see him as their Messiah. But until that day, the Jewish people cannot see God this way. They cannot understand or fathom this God who can relate to us. Why is this important? (laughs) I remember one time, I'm laughing already because I remember this story, gosh. I went to the streets and I was preaching the gospel and going out there and I was excited, you know, we had, we're going out to the streets, and the church was like, let's go, and everyone signed up, and we were going to go, and it was the first time I've ever taken to the streets. We ended up doing it for a very long time, but my very first time going to the streets, I was so excited. We had like 25, 30 people, and we get out to the street, and I just felt like, you know, I'm like in an army, and all these people are behind me, and we're just like, <laughs> it was really exciting. And I get out there, and right when I get out there, I get the car, we go, and before we can even get to a place to preach the gospel, I get approached by like seven people with Bibles. They start surrounding me. And I don't know how they knew I was the leader because I wasn't all the way in the front either. I was like in the middle. They, they surrounded me with like Bibles, and they're like, who are you? What, where are you from? What's your church? What's your gospel? I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, I'm coming out here thinking it's like only the lost, right? And this is like downtown Orlando, so there's like hundreds of people. And I'm like, and I'm approached by the church immediately. And they're holding their Bibles. They're like testing me, like coming at me. Like I felt like there were swords. I, I was like, <laughs> needed to like fight them off with my Bible. And they're like, they got all their Bibles and they're like hovering over me. I'm like, back up, back up. What's happening right now? I almost, some of my old school flesh almost came out for a second there. And they're like, what's the gospel to you? And I was like, eh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. I was like, the gospel is this. That I am made to be loved by God, and I have ravished his heart. <laughs> I, I wanted to mess with him so bad. <laughs> and he looked at me, and they looked at each other like, what? <laughs> they were so confused. They have never heard the gospel like that. And he goes, Rav- ravished? What is that word? I've never, what is, who are you? Where are you from? <laughs> and I just wanted to mess with him. The church doesn't know this message of love. 
I'm, I'm not against preaching against, you know, when you preach holiness and evangelism tactics because, you know, they had their signs, you're going to hell and all that stuff. Cool. You do you, whatever you want to do. But I'm telling you, there is a message of love, and it's a revival of the message of love that's going to come upon the church again. We're going to begin to preach the love of Jesus. Why do we need this, church? <clears throat> I say it almost all the time I preach. I try to hold back my tears. We need this because there is broken people coming to the church in the years to come. When the homosexual walks in that door and they, they go to the church with the signs, of, what are they going to say to them? <sighs> I believe the greatest harvest to come is going to be the homosexual community. I believe God, there's a... There is a plan and there is a, there is a, a moment in time and a revival that's going to break in over the homosexual community. They're going to be the, one of the greatest leaders. They're going to be the greatest preachers. They're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to be full of fire. They're going to begin to preach. And here's the funny part. They may, may still have some of the tendencies that make them look homosexual. How are you going to react to that, church, when someone preaches the gospel and they still have the tendencies? You still have the tendencies of a liar. You still have the tendencies of an angry person. Oh, Shandarabaya. What happened? You still carry some of your tendencies. We're walking this thing out together, church. How is the church going to look when we judge every person that walks through that door? We cannot break out to the next level until we understand the love of Jesus. And you know what it takes to understand the love of Jesus? You understanding that you're not perfect and you need to humble yourself because as we shared earlier, if God counted all of our sin, who would stand a chance? I know I sure wouldn't be up here. I would be the first one kicked out. Church, we need to understand the love of Jesus, and we need to know how to, how to authenticate it and describe it to the lost so when they come, they feel comforted, they feel safe, which is, wow, what a reality. They should feel safe. <laughs> Think about the 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 um the good Samaritan. Person is broken. They're left on the floor, and the religious one just keeps on trucking. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the religious one that walks by the broken. I don't want to be the religious one that walks by the needy. I don't want to be the religious one because I've been doing it for years, and I walk by because it's not how I recognize it. To get to the next level, we need to understand and see how God sees. We are ravished by God. That broken homosexual is ravished by God. That person not in homosexual, heterosexual sin, sin before, uh, sex before marriage, they're ravished by God. A person who keeps messing up, you tell them a million times and, you, and they keep messing up, they ravish God's heart. Oh, that person's such a hypocrite. They ravish God's heart. Oh, we got to be careful with our mindsets in the church and how we judge. Why do you think so many leaders fall? Because they can't be transparent because of the darts that come from the church. Leaders can't be transparent in their marriages. Leaders can't be transparent in their walk with God because the minute that they show transparency and brokenness, the church wants to kick them out. But, what, but we don't apply that to the members. Oh, Jesus. Song Solomon 4.9, he's telling us a reality that will change your heart if you can catch it. Because here's what it, when it comes to fruition, Song Solomon 7.10. Look at that verse. Turn to Song of Solomon 
when you can understand that you have ravished God's heart, something will happen inside of your heart. And this is your response. Read it with me. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Close your eyes for a second. Just tell that to him. Say, Lord, your desire is towards me. How does that feel, church? His desire is for you. Yeah, you. Well, how can it be? Maybe, maybe it's for the person next to me. Maybe it's for the, uh, like Missy sings it, maybe it's for the lucky. Maybe it's for the rich. It's for you. Every single person. It's not for the person next to you. It's not for your mom. It's not for your dad. It's for you. His desire is for you. You're, it's not the lucky. It's not the chosen. It's not the, the, the pastors and the teachers. It's not the singers and music. It's for you, church. Reality. Let it hit your heart. His desire. He's so passionate for you. He's crazy about you. He loves you so much. His desire is toward me. When I live my life from this place, his desire is towards me. When I mess up and I fall, his desire is towards me. I return to this place. His desire is towards me. It's not dependent on what I've done. It's not dependent on how good I was yesterday. It's not dependent on how I measure up today. His desire is towards me. His desire is toward me. Say it again. His desire is towards me. The human heart loves to be loved. God has formed you with this desire inside of you, hoping, praying, searching to be loved. And the minute you don't feel loved, now let's let's think about marriage for a minute, right? How many marriages people think, well, I don't feel loved anymore because it's not like it was when it first started. And the second you lose that, my husband doesn't love me, now the devil comes. Now he begins to lie. Now he begins to accuse. Because you know what? His accusations might even be right. Come on, somebody. His accusations that he doesn't measure up. He's not good enough. He's not, yeah, because he's not Jesus. That's when it gets funny is when the accusations are actually true. Because, But that doesn't define how God sees you. That doesn't define who you are. And it doesn't define what you're searching for. What you're searching for is to be loved. Now, it's a beautiful thing when you find that in your spouse. It's beautiful. And God formed that on purpose. He saw Adam, and it said, and, and he, just remember this, before he even saw Adam, it said, it said God formed us in his image. <laughs> he formed us in his image, and then he saw Adam, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good, this is Jesus, for man to be alone. <laughs> I formed him in my image, and I put something that was already in my heart in his heart. It's not okay for me to be alone, alone, Father. Father, I desire them. See where I'm going with this? Jesus put in Adam a desire for a helper, for a person, for a spouse, which was a man and a woman. 2022, I got to say that. Thank you and amen. I I mean, the Bible says, for this reason, a man shall be joined to his wife man to his wife, yet we have changed that somehow, and we're afraid to say that in the church because we're afraid to preach truth because we're afraid to lose money. 
Because church is a business now, apparently. And that's why Jesus is coming to overturn the money changers and, re- and remove this reality from the church. But I'm not going to preach about that this morning. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 4. is the last one I'll, I'll, I'll talk about from Song of Solomon. And just as we've been in Song of Solomon, remember, I, I have this um, quote I got from Mike Bickle. It says, the safe way to read the Song of Solomon and the spiritual application is to only apply the thoughts that are confirmed and anchored clearly in the New Testament. So we read Song of Solomon, and, and the reason why we say it is because you can get caught up in a lot of, like, you know, kind of stuff, you know. I'm not going to go into it. There might be some little ones in the room. We, we share some of that in the premarital classes. So Song of Solomon, you can read it and kind of get off a little bit. You want to apply the truths you find in Song of Solomon to what you already see in the New Testament. Does that make sense? So here's, here's one right here. Song of Solomon 2.4. Song of Solomon 2, 2 verse 4 says, He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. I love this verse. This is one I return to all the time. I return to it all the time. I remember Pastor Carlos even had a vision one time of the banqueting table of the Lord. And I remember I always thought this verse up till recently said banqueting table. I know there's other verses that say banqueting table, but it's a banqueting house. So I begin to, I just, this is what I do in my, this is my this is, I'm just weird. I just sit there and I went from table to house and I just started picturing, you know, this room was a sweets room. Oh, hallelujah. Cakes and cookies and ice cream and all that's that that's room there. And then I go down the hallway and there's the meats room. I got some penin, I got some 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 good steak and pork chops and chuletas, and I got the meat room. Then I go to the room I've been in lately, was you know, the salad room and the vegetables and hallelujah. Help me Jesus. Been there for a little bit now. And his house is a banqueting house. There's so much good and pleasant fruit in the house of the Lord. Even right now, you're tasting from it. You go into your prayer closet and you spend some time in the word, you get another piece of fruit. You get another piece of food, another sweet. The Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. Once you start tasting this love, I promise you, when you return back to the other lovers, they don't satisfy you. The reason why you don't know what love is is because you've never let God love you. And you don't haven't tasted of his love. Once you taste his love, it's like a dog returning to his vomit. My dog just did it this week. And she was like, don't say it. I know she's like, why are you saying that? Because my dog threw up and I went to clean it and it was already gone by the time I got back. And we're like, ah. And it wasn't even the same dog. It was the other dog that claimed the other. Yeah. I know. That could be prophetic somehow. You know, you mess up. You may not return to it, but you cause somebody else to stumble. Oh, come on, somebody. Cause somebody else to return to it. Oh, I could preach that part if I wanted to. His banner over you is love. What does that mean? Well, in these times, it was very common for when the army would approach with a king, they would set up a banner and they would ride on the horses, and they would have, like, flags. And that banner was the description, in a nutshell, if you could describe what the kingdom stood for, if you could describe what the king stood for, if you could describe everything of that lineage, they would put it on this banner, and that banner was how they showed who they were before they arrived. The Bible says, his banner over me is love. 
His banner over you in the war in the spirit. His banner over you in the war of your marriage. His banner over you in the war of the sin you keep stumbling in. You want the answer to how to overcome? The answer comes in love. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Right? Hey, if you love me, those who love me obey my commandments, and the Father and I will make our home with him. Those who love me obey my commandments. Not, you better obey my commandments or you don't love me. You will obey when you love. How do you love? Jesus, your desire is for me. I know that's tough for you to to accept, church. I know you've been through some stuff. I know you've messed up. But I'm telling you, it's not dependent on your mess-ups. It's not dependent on your your story. It's not dependent on your stumbling, how much he desires you and loves you. It's everlasting love. It's eternal love. He loved you before it even started. Ephesians chapter 1, it says, and I knew uh, my father and we, before the foundations of the earth, he chose me in you for you to be before him in love. That's Ephesians 1. Before the foundations of the earth, he chose you in me to be before me in love. So you actually are before God, you stand before God in love before the foundations of the earth. I might have shared this here before, but I'm going to share it again because Everyone has moments in their life, right? So the reason why this well, for me, I always go back to is because I had a vision and an encounter with the Lord that will always stay with me, and it's part of this storyline for me. So I'll share it quickly. But basically, I was at Oha time. We were in a prayer room. So that's why it's important to be faithful, right, in the place of prayer. So you never know when, when it's your day for encounter. Come on, somebody. Look at uh, John the Baptist's father, right? Goes in, and then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord stood before him. You never know. Just be faithful. You don't know when it's your day for encounter. You don't know which, how many times you almost didn't come to church on Sunday, and that was the Sunday you got set free. Come on, somebody. Because the devil wants to keep you out. The devil wants to keep you comfortable. He doesn't want you to get up out of bed, come to church, because that might be your breakthrough. I just remember worshiping the Lord just like every other day, and all of a sudden I saw a, a, almost like I was on a stage. And I could see the Father and Jesus over here. And there was like a table right here, like a flat table. And they were standing here, and Jesus was carving an image like a piece of clay. There was like a clay, like pottery. Uh, you know about clay. Come on now, somebody. You know, I, and I don't know. Every time I think of clay, I think of the movie Ghost, you know. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know about that movie. Y'all too young. Yeah, y'all are like, what? What movie is that? Don't worry about it, bro. Don't watch it. <laughs> you know, remember? Come on. Anybody ever seen the movie Ghost? Come on. Okay, thank you. I'm not crazy. <laughs> That's how I picture clay in my mind. It's, it's just, once it's there, I can't get it out. So they're like, he's molding this clay, and I remember the father, Jesus is molding, and the father is just standing back, pleased. And he's smiling. And he's just taking pleasure in watching the son mold this clay. And I'm standing off over here, and I'm still playing and worshiping, probably in the natural, but I'm, I'm seeing this picture. And as I'm watching it, I keep seeing Jesus. He would mold a little bit, step back, look at the Father. They would both smile. Then he would kind of go and continue to do a little bit more. Then the Father's just watching Jesus, enjoying it. And I remember as I'm watching it, as I'm beginning to see the, the clay take form, I realize it was me. And I realized that he was forming me before the foundations of the world. And, I, and now I'm standing there knowing this, watching it. 
So he keeps going, he keeps going, keeps looking at the Father, and they haven't said one word. They continue to mold. And then finally, I know the moment has come where it's finished. It's complete. Jesus is happy. He's done. He's, com- he's completed the forming of this clay creature. And he looks over at the Father, and his first words were this, Father, I desire him. And the Father looked at him, and he smiled, and he nodded. And Jesus went, and he wrote my name in the book of life. Whether that happened or not, I don't know. But I saw that picture. And I knew in that moment that I will always know for the rest of my life that he chose me before I had a breath. And it's not that he chose me to be a preacher. He chose me to be a lover. He chose me to experience this love, to love Jesus. Not so I could come up here and preach it to you. Not so, even though that's not wrong. But the primary reason he chose me was to encounter it and experience it and know that I know that I know inside of me, no matter what I ever do, he loves me. It's not elementary. It's not too little. Forgive me, I told you it was going to happen. Like when Elliot came back from that ministry trip and he said, God loves me. When you get that moment in your life, it may look different, but when that happens to you, Nothing can shake you. And here's the best part about it. Not even you can shake you. Not even you can shake it. The Bible says there is no demon, no principality, no power, no stronghold. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. That you would know the width, the depth, the height, the low, the love of Christ. That you would be rooted and grounded. Come on, rooted. So that's the message for what the rooted, where does that come from? That's from that verse, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. So when everything is shaking around you, I have a root system. I am loved. I am desired by God. And no matter what I've ever done, no matter how much I mess up, no matter what happens to me, I have a system, a root system. I will not be shaken. I am loved by God. He desires me. He likes me. He enjoys me. <laughs> I know sometimes, you know, you think your wife don't like you too much, right? I get it. Husband may not like, you know, Jesus always likes you. <laughs> your kids, yeah, sometimes you don't like them. I know, I get it. Drive you crazy. That's carnal love. You can't love like God loves, guys. <laughs> you can't love like this. You don't know this love. The, the only thing I can almost come close to trying to understand it is the love of the Father toward my children. Let me give you some examples of of this reality in the Bible playing out. There's that bunny trail you talked about, Matt. (laughs) Thanks for that. He prophesied that would happen. Let me tell you some examples of believers who could have been shaken from this accusation. I'll share them real quickly. One of them is David. Did you know in Acts 13.22, the Bible says, I have found David, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. All my will? God says, David did all my will. How can that be possible, God? David was in adultery. All my will. His sins were blotted out. Sins were forgotten. And God, why do we think that God keeps a record? The blood of Jesus has washed you from your sin. 
and will always wash you from your sin. Is that a, a reason to sin? No, we of course know that. Romans 6 says, certainly not. I should not sin that grace may abound. No. But God's merciful, but he's not just merciful, he's gracious. What does that mean? His mercy is enough to wash you from your sin. His grace is enough to empower you to overcome sin. He's merciful, and he's not, he don't just leave you in that mercy. You're forgiven. I, I understand what you went through. I've washed you. You're no longer that person. You're a new creation. I'm going to go ahead and forgive you. Now let's move forward. That would be enough, I feel like. But that's not enough. He not only doesn't, he doesn't just wash you and leave you in that place. Then he gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to give you grace to overcome. Grace to overcome, he gave David. Grace to overcome, he gave Gideon. Judges of chapter 6, Gideon was hiding, hiding from the army. And God came to him and said, man of valor. Who, me? Some of you guys have no idea why pastor and the leaders keep looking at you for leadership. It may, it's not because of where you've been. It's because of where you're going. God speaks things over you not because of where you've been, but because of where you're going. It's almost like he's got this plan, right? We know Jeremiah says, this, I know my thoughts towards you, a plan, right? And all of a sudden we get off course. And then, I don't know why, I picture it like a video game. Like, he just destroys it. And all of a sudden, he starts building up all these, you know, what was that game where they build the, the, the Fortnite? Fortnite. Where, like, you build stuff. Fortnite, you guys have seen that? Where you, oh, Look at the kid. Oh, I got one right there. He's like, yeah, yeah. Where He's just like, you can build stuff, like, really fast in Fortnite. Okay, guys, just stay with me, all right? And I can see God, the minute we're all off path, all of a sudden he starts building this new path and it draws us back to the same path, which is his will. Why do I say that? God can use your mistakes and your shortcomings to still work it for good. He works all things for good, Romans 8, 28. How does he do that? How can he work all things for good? This person died, or I have this sin, or I have this, this sickness, or I went and, I, and, I, and I, was, I, I had a divorce, and I went. Well, no matter what has happened, no matter what the enemy has done, God can take that, and he's God. He's so good at it. Let him be God, and you'll see it in the future, and all of eternity when you're in heaven, you'll look back and go, oh, my gosh, when I messed up that one time, that was definitely my fault. But God used that somehow because he's God. He used that mess up to teach me a, 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 something that I could have never learned if I didn't walk that out before. Oh, it blows my mind. Wait, wait, so God made you? No, he didn't make you do that. God allows us to walk out our plan and our life, and when we stumble, he uses that stumbling to lift us up and strengthen us. He will always turn it around, church. He will always turn it around. Peter, he called him the rock, and then Peter stumbles and denies him, but Jesus called him the rock before he did. Saul and Paul, Jesus looked at Saul and he even told Ananias to go uh, minister to Saul. And Saul's like, uh, Ananias is like, uh, you're talking about Saul of Tarsus? Saul? Is this the right person? He's like, uh, I don't know if this is, I don't know if you want me to. He ha Saul had a reputation. A reputation of who he used to be. And God's response to Ananias was this. He is my chosen vessel to bear my name. 
I see, I understand that Saul has a past. I know he went through a lot of stuff. I know he was disobedient. I know he was rebellious, but he's my vessel. And he will bear my name. Oh, it's beautiful. And then Christopher shared with me this morning, I saw another one uh, um, with um, Israel and Jacob. How God chose Jacob, a deceiver. And he didn't even know what I was talking about, mostly. He chose Jacob, a deceiver. That was his reputation. Some of you have reputations. Well, yeah, you've always struggled with this. You've always done this. And the church will tell you, well, you've always messed up in this. The church is not too good at this. The church is really good about helping the enemy out with their accusations. So you need to learn how to cut some of that off as well. And, and then church, you need to learn how to encourage people through tough times. And stop accusing them through those times. Because one day it might be you. Oh, Jesus. Jacob was a deceiver, and God called him to bear the name Israel. Changed his name. New creation. And now Jesus will, will reign from Israel. Jesus will reign. The nations will flow from the lineage of a deceiver? Nope. Not a deceiver. That's not how God sees him. God sees him as a broken man who limped his way the rest of his life because he wrestled with God. And God touched his hip and he had a cane and he was limp because he wrestled with God. That's how God sees him. God doesn't see him as a deceiver. I could be here all day long talking about all the examples in the Bible. Why do you see it so difficult to imagine you for the same story? Come on, church. I'm going to end with this last passage. And you can put that first picture up, actually, if you're ready back there. Give me five minutes. Okay. We're going to have some fun today, but I, I really want to make sure the Lord brings this home. I want to make this quote to you as well. I felt this earlier. Living in a fear of being rejected by God will hinder your ability to grow in love. It's like, why is he talking about this right now? I thought we were talking about love today. We are. And you living in fear of being rejected by God will hinder your ability to love God. Why do you think the devil accuses? Why do you think every single time you mess up, what do you hear? I told you you were going to do it again. See, you don't really love God. How can you love God and do that? You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. That's not how you love God. That's the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of the, of the devil. That's the voice of Satan. He will lie. He will accuse. And he will remind you of your past. That's what he does. That's his scheme. That's his plan. And you, who, can, who can say they can relate to that? Come on, be honest. I know when I have fallen, I have been in that place of shame and condemnation. Where I, Last thing I wanted to do was go to church. Because <laughs> I felt like a hypocrite. Last thing I wanted to do was go pray because I felt like a hypocrite. Last thing I wanted to do was worship because I felt like a hypocrite. When in reality, that's the first thing I should do. Because I tell you from other experiences, times I have fallen. And the minute I get back in his presence, it's almost like all those lies get washed away. Off of my mind, the renewing of the mind. Those lies get washed away. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yes, I am still a son. I am still loved. I am still, uh, I still ravish God's heart when I pray. When I worship, fragrance arises to heaven, and he's pleased by my worship. 
Weak love is still love. Your love may be weak. Your walk may be weak. Your love may be fragile. It may be broken, but it's still love, church. Don't let the devil you devil tell you it's not love. Don't let the devil lie to you that it's not love because you did this and you did that. Zechariah chapter 3 is a beautiful picture of this story. It's one of my go-to. I said I'm pulling up my go-to passages. This is it. This is one of my go-to verses to know how God sees me. This is a picture of, of leave that up there. This is a picture of Zechariah 3, and I'm going to read the passage. You can follow along, but I want the, the picture to stay up if you can. Zechariah 3, verse 1 through 4. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing on his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord, say the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, for the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. And this is, is this not, oh, it's me. This is Enrique in the Bible right here. I'm telling you, this is me. He knew it. He put my name here. I claim it. I say it's my life. It's my journey. It's me. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Hallelujah. That's you, church. Put your name there. It was just, if you were just a little bit closer to the fire, you wouldn't be here right now. If it was just a little bit closer, a little bit deeper of that sin, a little bit more of that rebellion, you would have turned from God. But you're here today, and that, and God sees that. He's like, you're accusing this one, the one that I plucked from the fire? <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Now, Joshua, here's the reality. It's true. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. He was dirty. He was unrighteous. Nobody's saying that that unrighteousness is okay or that it's okay to sin or that it's not sin or that there's no need for repentance. Nobody's saying that. He was filthy. He was dirty. And he was before God. And the Lord answered. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him. And God stood for Joshua. Put your name there. Even though he's dirty, look at his response. He says, take away the filthy garments from him verse 4. And he said, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. <laughs> oh, guys, he's not just saving you. Hold on, listen, I'm almost done, I promise. Give me two more minutes. He's not just saving you so you can be pure and you can get into heaven. He's saving you to use you with glory and to partner with you for the ages to come. He's going to trust you to be a person of leadership. He's going to trust you with his gifts. He's going to trust you to preach the word of God. He's going to trust you when your whole family is struggling and the world is coming against them and persecution comes to America. God is going to trust you and use you for his glory. He's not just saving you to save you. He's saving you to use you for himself, for his pleasure, for his glory. And how beautiful the moment when you stand before God and you have partnered with him. And he goes, you did that? We did that together. I remember when you gave that cup of cold water to that homeless man. I was there. I was there every time. And you gave your sweater, your jacket to that person. I was there. When you blessed that person, when you needed the blessing, you blessed them. I was there. And he's going to be there with you in partnership. He didn't just save you to save you. 
He sees the little moments that you do with faithfulness. He loves it. It pleases him. He is satisfied by it. Look at the second picture. Isn't that beautiful? He covers your dirty robes and he puts on you kingly garments. Hallelujah. Rich robes, the Bible says. Robes of of kingdom, authority. God's going to use you guys to cast out demons. God's going to use you to pray for the paralytic and they'll be healed. God's going to use you to open deaf ears. Why do you think it has to be a standard of your life in order to be used for that? Even with me saying that, you don't believe it. That is unbelief. Get Get it out of your head. Say, I believe it. Come on. Say, I believe it. God can use me. That's why we need this message. That's why I believe that the the revival message of love is going to sweep this nation. That's why God's going to raise up the homosexual community. God's going to raise up uh, uh, men and women who are going to preach the gospel because they've come from brokenness. I'm not ashamed to say that. People are going to come from lives of brokenness, and God is going to raise them up. Why? Because they're not going to care what everybody else says about them. Stand to your feet. Just like Saul, Saul went out to preach, and even the apostles wouldn't even were, were worried to meet with him. Because his reputation, there's going to be, I believe homosexuals that are going to go to preach, and people are going to say, well, his reputation. There's going to be people like you guys, some of you that maybe you don't struggle with that. Maybe you've come from a, a, a passive of being an angry person. Used to be a drug addict. Used to be a person that is unreliable. And God says, I'm trusting you. Me? I'm never, I'm the last person you will trust. He says, no, you're the first person. Because you know where you came from. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Let's let this come into our hearts. This is like an introduction if you've never heard it. Because trust me, this is hours and hours and years and years of you diving into that well and drinking from the love of Jesus. But you got to know this. Even though the accuser of the brethren may accuse, God does not condemn. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. He does not condemn you. He will never condemn you. He has washed you and cleansed you. And his banner over you is love. His banner is the cross. When he stood on that cross, that's his banner. When you close your eyes and you go, how do you think about me, God? How do you see me, God? He stands hanging on that cross. His banner over you is love. As he hangs and hung on that cross, he says, I love you. He says, Father, I desire him. I desire her. My banner over them is love, love, love. I love you, I wash you, and I cleanse you. Let's sing before the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.